And in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Combat Ineffective War Room, the podcast for all of the Combat Ineffective stories that are out there. And I know you probably are listening to this and wondering, what am I going to talk about? There's a lot in the news right now. There's a lot of current events that are going on. And to be honest with you, I've been trying to avoid it, trying to figure out some other topic besides Afghanistan right now, but I I really can't find one. This is something that is very personal to me as to what is going on over there. Uh, I am a former U.S. Army veteran, and even though I was not deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq during the... uh, during my time in I still supported the mission that was over there and in fact I was giving uh, direct support through my position as an intel analyst and you'll have to excuse if my voice sounds a little bit rough right now I am sick Um, in fact everybody in my household is sick right now we are actually dealing with COVID COVID COVID-19 don't know which variant of it it is but i know that i've got it i know my wife has got it and i know my daughter's got it Uh, was told on monday that when i was at work friday one of my co-workers uh later tested positive for it and i was told i was exposed now hmm, forgive me a moment i'm also drinking coffee so i can uh well, A, stay hydrated, and B, stay awake, because it's a little bit late tonight, but I felt like I wanted to do this. So, with me getting COVID here, I have nothing to do for probably about the next 10 days, it seems. Um, They already have us quarantined here, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um... My job should be okay. Uh, I don't know how much leave this is going to eat up in that. Uh, I will probably find that out near the end of this. But for right now, I am pretty much sitting and stuck here at home with lots of time to try and figure out what I'm going to do and less and less energy to do it with as I am sick right now. And it kind of feels like somebody is just sitting on my chest And it makes me feel like I want to cough right now. Uh, That's about where I am at. Um, As I said, I was drinking coffee so I could stay awake and get a little bit more energy on that. Uh, I do want to thank everybody that has been tuning in to both the podcast and also watching watching my videos and listening to the podcast when I have converted them over onto youtube i do appreciate that uh we are still trying to grow we are still trying to get our channel i would love to get up to you know a hundred subscribers on youtube that would be amazing at this point um i know small goals i i'd actually love to see like ten thousand, but i'm being realistic at this point i pretty much am of the conclusion that the YouTube algorithm hates me because of anything that it could be doing, possibly my politics, anything like that. I don't talk about my politics, but, uh, you know, the algorithm does know everything you're doing and what you search for, so I I think it's pretty obvious to it what it it is, and Google hates anybody of that style. So 
more than likely they have probably uh, made it so that my channel can't grow. But if that's not true, maybe maybe I'll get lucky and maybe this will go up to 250 people subscribing to it. That would be awesome. Maybe I'll get uh, 20 to 30 patrons on my Patreon. Be able to uh, finally afford some new equipment over here, including trying to get the uh, video card fixed for the computer so that I can actually get all of this stuff up and running again. Um, if you guys could actually be supporters of this channel on anchor or on patreon or youtube and provide some monetary support some of you already are and i do appreciate those uh, you know i can't thank you enough for monetarily supporting this channel but if more of you would volunteer to do so it would be most appreciative and i could actually put out the good product that i've wanted to do that I've been trying to do ever since I started this channel and ever since I've been trying to put up the Patreon and everything else. It's all for you, it's all for my fans and my listeners and the people that are actually interested in this. So, I, I do want to thank you for that. Um, I, I would like some of your comments on that as far as some ideas that you have for different shows, different stuff. I've been trying to stay away from American weapons and stuff like that, but I'm kind of wondering if maybe I need to, because a lot of the stuff that is talked about in the media, they usually only talk about uh, some of our best weapons, or they take our best weapons and say they're garbage because of this. And that's all they talk about. Um, if you want to look at before Desert Storm, for example, the media said most of our equipment was too expensive, was not going to last in the desert, and just wouldn't work in the conditions that were out there, and we kicked the ever-living crap out of the Iraqis with that stuff. And all of a sudden, we went from the people that were still shell-shocked from Vietnam to the most powerful military that had ever existed. So, be that as it may, that's the stuff that I'm trying to figure out, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and who, who knows, maybe I'll do that. I'm wondering if I'm getting myself into a little bit of a rut, just constantly going after Russian equipment. Uh, the Russians are really a uh, treasure trove of data and interesting tidbits of stuff where they've just absolutely screwed up. Um, but they're not the only ones out there. They just are some of the most recent in the past 50, 60 years. That gives you a good amount of time frame and a good amount of data that you can get from like sound bites, video clips, uh, plenty of different research to prove whether it actually happened or not. And a lot of people were watching it at the same time. So that gives you some really good stuff out there. The Chinese are up there, but they like to hide their stuff and it's hard to find the true data on it because, well, I kind of think that if a lot of people found out whether it was really that good or that bad, uh, they would have a more accurate depiction of the uh, People's Liberation Army and how they're actually set up and whether they're actually worth a damn at this point. I kind of think in terms of numbers, maybe they are, um, but in terms of aircraft, in terms of their aircraft, they're getting up there. In terms of their navy, probably not. Um, in terms of trying to fight 
us, they've, they've got a long way to go. I At this point, I don't even know if they would actually be able to take over Taiwan fast enough uh, before we would come over there and just unlo just open up a can of whoop-ass on them. Because I have a feeling it would be quick. They would actually have to take the island very fast, and I don't know if they could actually take the island of Taiwan, or as it used to be called, Formosa. So, as we have all seen, and I'm just going to stop delaying on this, as we have all seen, the Taliban have, for all intents and purposes, retaken over Afghanistan. And I have a lot of strong feelings about that. I have a lot of strong feelings about the administration here in the U.S. and their dealings with this. I have some strong feelings about the Taliban itself and what they're doing. Um, but I'm going to actually start to talk about probably the worst fighting force known to man at this point. And that is... If there's any of them left, the Afghan National Army. What was told, what was trained for, at this point, the better part of 20 years, was a force that was built, equipped, and trained by NATO and the United States pretty much ever since the fall of the Taliban in 2001 in 2002. We were told by numerous generals, numerous uh, secretaries of defense, uh, numerous presidents that they were ready to go, that yeah, they could do this, that they would be able to defend their country and they would be able to do it well. And all of a sudden we said we were going to be leaving after again being there a generation at this point. I mean, let's put it this way. We got there shortly after 9-11 happened and there are kids in high school that were born after 9-11. In fact, I think it was last year was the first class that was... Uh, last year or the year before was the first class that was born after 9-11 to graduate high school. So you have kids that are probably just joining the military that have no idea, well, I'm, I'm sure from their history books and everything, they know why we were there, but otherwise did not re did not live the events of those days and are now in the military. And we're probably over there doing what a lot of other 18, 19 year olds do when they join the military and doing it for that GI Bill and doing it for because they are patriots, any number of different reasons. Maybe doing it for that college, doing it just because that was what was open to them and they thought it was a way to a good life. And so they go over there and they've been training this Afghan army, telling them, all right, let's go over there and let's kick some ass. You guys have got this. All right, we're going to teach you on the weapons. Got to give you all sorts of different stuff, stuff that you probably never used, but we're going to train you on it. You're going to know how you're going to use it. We've also got stuff you're used to, AK-47s, RPG-7s, uh, 
Um, I'm sure they probably had dish case. They probably had a bunch of different armored vehicles, Humvees, you name it. We armed them with a lot of stuff. And as soon as we left, as soon as we left, from what it sounds like, they just dropped their rifles and surrendered en masse, or just dissolved into the hillsides. What the hell happened? How did we screw up so bad? How did they screw up so bad that they weren't even willing to try and fight? That they weren't even willing to fire a few shots to slow the Taliban down? Because the Taliban can't be that large of an enemy force coming in. And if they are, where in the hell were they all hiding? Are, are, were they hiding across the border in Pakistan? Were they all sitting in Afghanistan all over the place in small pockets? And then this was just like the Tet Offensive. All of a sudden, they all just started up and, all right, let's go. You know, I, I'm trying to figure this out, trying to wrap my head around what happened. And I'm coming to a couple conclusions on this start of it is, is that they really had no sense of nationalism. They had no sense of patriotism. All they really cared about was, in some cases, either their family or their tribe, and that's about it. They really didn't care about Afghanistan as a whole. And that's, I mean, that's not strange to me. Uh, I mean, after all, that's what happened after the Mujahideen beat the Soviets. They just devolved into a bunch of tribal warlords that were fighting, trying to take territory the whole time. And then the Taliban came in, promised people that, hey, you would have law and order. We're going to give we're going to secure all of this. You don't have to worry about just random warfare and a civil war going on the whole time. We'll take care of it. And they came in. They were brutal, but they did what they were going to. And almost took over the entire thing with the exception of a small area that was controlled by what was called the Northern Alliance and a guy named Masood. And what has happened now is just like with the Soviets, the Soviets tried to create an Afghan national army. They tried to create their own state army for Afghanistan to take over for them after they left. They didn't want to be there. Uh, that's actually a very interesting story in and of itself. See, the whole reason that everything has started, and I do mean everything has started, was two brothers in Afghanistan decided that they wanted to overthrow the king of Afghanistan at the time, because there was a king, it was actually a monarchy, and install a communist government of which they would be the heads of state. And they started on it, and as soon as that happened, something strange happened in Afghanistan. All of the warlords that were around united under one front and said, we're going to kick your ass. So once this happened, they very quickly found themselves outnumbered and outgunned and were very close to losing when 
the brothers decided one of them would have to go to Moscow to talk to the Soviets to see if the Soviets would help him. And he goes to Moscow, he has some big meeting with the Politburo and Comintern and all of that, and they told him, no, you're going to have to go back home, you guys are going to have to fix this, we don't want anything to do with this whole thing. The guy quickly gets on a plane, heads back to Afghanistan, starts to get off the plane and is assassinated right on the tarmac doesn't even get to come back to try and help out. So after that happened, the other brother holed himself up in the palace, called the Soviets for help, and the Soviets... You know, I don't know what the F word is in uh, Russian, but I'm sure that was probably the... Uh, that was probably the expletive that was used for when that call came in. The Soviets, realizing that they don't want uh, this fledgling communist government to fall because it would look bad on them that they didn't support them, decide that they're going to help them out. And so they send the Spesnaz in to stabilize the situation. And the Spesnaz actually came in and actually started to get some control over the place. Uh, they were very good at actually getting the cities under control. And very slowly there was a buildup. More and more troops. Uh, it started with more airborne troops and more Speznaz until they, uh, the Soviets realized that they needed to bring in more and heavier firepower as they started taking on uh, a much tougher and more organized resistance against them. And that's when you were getting groups like Al-Qaeda was starting to be formed at that point, which if you want to know the history of Al-Qaeda, that's where the start of it was. Al-Qaeda actually just means the base. Uh, there, there was, I think it was supposed to, I think that's the short term. I believe they were supposed to be called the base of Islam or something like that. But it was shortened to just Al-Qaeda because they had a specific spot that they were at and that area was called the base. And they just decided to name their movement the base. The Taliban were another such group. What they actually were there for was they were a group that was created in Pakistan by Pakistan. And their main goal was that they were to protect the convoys of supplies that were going into Afghanistan from the Soviets, from other warlords, you name it, they were trying to protect it. And they actually were fairly good at it. Um, that was one of the things that they was their calling card, was they were able to control and protect the convoys. Well, as things are going along, the Soviets are taking more and more of the country, but they can't really get outside of the, the major cities too well. They really don't have control. So their way of dealing with that was to send Hind helicopters, entire uh, motor rifle companies and divisions, uh, not cruise missiles, but ballistic missiles, airstrikes, and pretty much just, oh, this town attacked us. Okay, wipe out the entire town. 
and then they started using stuff that were called uh they were using what are called butterfly mines uh, these little things kind of look like toys they're actually designed for they're anti-personnel mines they're designed for soldiers to pick these things up but since they look like toys one of the most common uh people that would get their hands on it were little children who weren't sure what it was they'd pick these things up it would explode and they, they would either die or it'd blow an arm or a leg off something like that well they also had the, as the soviets were doing this they knew they didn't want to stay there forever so they started creating their own afghan army they, their own loyalists that would actually help them and they seemed to be doing okay uh the Soviets didn't really trust them that much. The Soviets didn't trust anyone that wasn't them, especially if you weren't Russian. <coughs> and so when you have that and the Mujahideen would show up, if the Soviets ever got killed off, in many cases, the Afghan army people that were there, they would just throw down their weapons. And in fact, if you look at the trailer to my channel on YouTube for Combat Ineffective. You will see there <coughs> there is a clip from one video that's in there. You'll see a guy running with an AK-47 out to the side away from a truck. That is coming from Afghanistan during the, Mujid during the uh, Soviet invasion and that is someone that is surrendering to the Mujahideen at that moment. Maybe even trying to turn himself over to them and become a defector. So, there's a history in Afghanistan of people that claim to be loyal to Afghanistan and claim to want to fight for it just dropping their weapons and either disappearing into the countryside because the hell with this, or I'm not getting killed by them, I would rather join them. And just picking up a gun and going with them. And it looks like it has happened again. Now, a lot of you are probably wondering, why is this different than Iraq was? Well, despite the fact that they are very close geographically, I mean, there's really only one country in between the two before you reach their borders, and that's Iran. You can actually just walk across Iran from Iraq and you would reach Afghanistan or you'd reach Pakistan. But there are the ideals, the culture is all completely different. Uh, the Iraqis are a hodgepodge of different groups. Uh, anything from Lebanese to Syrian to Arab to Kurd to Persian. All in one small area. I mean, that's, that's modern day Baghdad. That's modern-day Babylon and Mesopotamia right there. But, and forgive me for saying this, but it's kind of a truth here. One of the very few good things Saddam Hussein ever did, and I can't believe I'm even saying his name and the word good in it, was he was trying to create a nationalist identity for Iraqis. See, before he came to power, the tribal system held sway in Iraq. And so whoever was the tribal leader basically was a power broker. They were essentially like a governor of that area. 
and after he took after Saddam Hussein took power he started to change that he even started to have them change their names so that it was essentially just a first and last name instead of having uh, uh, basically having your tribal name at the end of it uh, to give you an idea Saddam Hussein's full name was Saddam Hussein al-Tikriti he took off the al-Tikriti because despite the fact that he was from Tikrit he didn't want to be known as that anymore. He wanted to just be, I'm Saddam Hussein, I'm an Iraqi, you are, you know, Muhammad something, and you are from Iraq, but you're born in Basra. And that was a problem. That was the problem for us in Afghanistan. Is it still a very tribal culture? There isn't a nationalist identity. The Iraqis do have a nationalist identity. They do believe themselves as Iraqis. Even the Shia, uh, Sunni, and Kurd thing that's going on. In the north, you've got the Kurds, the, uh, and you have what are called the Peshmerga up there, which are a which is basically a Kurdish group that's up there. But they have a very strong nationalist identity on them. Same with the Shia and Sunni together, and some of the Kurds when they're with the Iraqi National Army. They have pride in being Iraqi. They have pride of where they're from, and they're willing to defend it. Afghanistan, I don't think they're, they were willing to defend it, or at least they weren't trained in a way to get them to such a level. You know, in a country where most of the male population that was over 40 was as turned into a rarity after the civil war that they had, the Taliban and everything else. I mean, the literacy rate in Afghanistan, I think, when we got in there in 2002, was less than 30%. That means probably one in three people might be able to read in that country. And even worse, most of the elders that were in the country were dead at this point. Uh, you were talking of like 40 and 50 year olds were essentially running the country. That's not to say that there's no wisdom in someone that's in their 40s or 50s. I mean, I myself am in my 40s, but at the same time, you lose. A, there's a very big gap of wisdom that comes with that. Some cultures that have a very large senior citizen population, they've gone through some stuff. You know, we still have people in the United States that have gone through World War II, that have gone through Korea and Vietnam, that have gone through, you know, maybe people have gone through the Great Depression or have seen things. There's different experiences that they know of going, yes, you know, this, this is strange right now, but I remember going through something like this at this time. And you get experiences off of that, something that you can learn from. When you have a population that really doesn't have that, it's very hard to learn what people used to do before and how it was done. The other part is that most of the people were based on a revenge culture. You killed my family, so I'm going to go kill yours. Or you killed this person in my family, so I'm going to kill all of yours. And it was this endless cycle going back and forth of violence. Then on top of that, you had a bunch of them that had no idea what they were really doing. They were probably just given a gun, given a uniform, and 
go on out there. All right, let's see if we can do it. Had no training. Uh, real, I mean, there, there's videos of them trained to be taught how to do exercises and something as simple as doing jumping jacks were a little bit too complex for them. So this is the stuff that you're going to have to deal with. And I don't know where it is that people thought that they were ready to go. I don't know what metric they were using. Like, did they watch them for every one of the operations? Were they still embedded with American soldiers doing it? Or were they taking command of the operations themselves? Were the Americans sort of watching as observers? Or were they not even there? The Afghans were running it and they were getting the good results. What actually happened here? And then to top it off, all of the equipment that's getting left behind and the infrastructure that has already been repaired over the past 20 years. It was like the, it was like the Taliban left and decided to flip their country in 20 years. It's like, yeah, we'll have somebody come in, reno this, you know, we'll put in brand new roads, brand new rails, brand new electrical grid. We'll maybe put some shiplap up on this wall over here, get in some, you know, uh, some backsplashes and we're good. We're ready to go. And I don't know who's to blame. You know, a lot of people are saying we did our jobs. You know, a, a lot of soldiers that have gone over there and I've known people that have gone over there many times, many different iterations of them. People that have gone over as soldiers and then gone back as contractors. People have gone over there as government workers and you have it. You, na who, you name it, I've known people that have done it. I was even told at one point that this is a country where, you know, everybody when they're looking at something like this and trying to do this, let's, you know, rebuild this country, rebuild this population. Yeah, let's find the really good eggs that are over there, and they're the ones that we're going to build off of. And from what I was told, there weren't any. Most of the leaders over there were just as corrupt, if not worse, than the Taliban were. Uh, you had people that were basically, they were tribal leaders that made sure that nepotism was the name of the game, the name of the business. You know, that's how you got people into government service. Yeah, it's going to be all the posh two over here. They're going to be ones getting all of the good government jobs. <coughs> you had others that were growing opium out there because that's how they made their living. And they weren't going to stop that because that's how they had their power. You had people that were former warlords and still had that cult of personality. And they were the ones that were going to be calling the shots. Yeah, people that were rapists, pedophiles, drug dealers, drug runners, uh, you name it. It was just this hodgepodge of some of the most despicable humans you could ever find. And all of them in it just for themselves, it seemed. Uh, some of their previous leaders, some of their previous presidents were not really good guys. It, the, the press made them seem like they were angels, but they absolutely were not. There were not any angels in Afghanistan. That's for sure. Now, that's not to say that there aren't good people that were over there. 
there were. I'm saying for the majority of the people that were over there, we weren't going to find someone with enough power and sway and uh, sheer charisma to make them actually believe in themselves and to actually have got that country on the right path that it needed to be on. So, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here. They say they're going to try and get all of the... Uh, all of the Americans out of there and I don't know how that's gonna happen especially when they're putting their faith in the Taliban to do it without just straight-up killing people I mean we're already hearing stories that anyone that was a collaborator with the United States they're rounding them up to kill them uh, even the people that were trying to get to the airport uh, to try and get out on some of those flights were being shot at and they've got all of our equipment that we left behind. Humvees, machine guns, uh, you know, who knows what else we left behind. Along with, like I said, an entire country that was pretty much fixed from top to bottom. And paid for by Uncle Sam and a lot of other countries. So there's probably billions if not trillions of dollars invested there that is completely gone. So, if any of you invested in uh, Afghanistan being rebuilt, it was, and now it's gone. So, this is kind of like the South Park episode, but we're going to put it into this type of fund, the money microphone, and it's gone. Poof. Gone. So, this is just, I don't know. I, I know this kind of probably sounded like a rant. And probably was, you know, meandering a bit, but this is stuff that I've wanted to talk about for a little while, and I just wasn't sure how I was going to do it. Gets me very depressed of talking about it and wondering what's going to happen next, mainly because I feel like we let a lot of people down. Not that our soldiers and our people that were over there didn't do their job, but I think the way we left really tarnishes our character in the world. Anyway, that's it for this episode. I may try to put out another episode in a day or two if I can get it some more ideas. If any of you would like to support this channel, you can find us on Patreon. You can uh, look us up. In fact, let me try and find what that website is. So that I have the exact one to give all of you. And hold on just a second. I'm about to log in. And yes, I do actually have to log into my own account. It is... Patreon.com slash Combat Ineffective. If you'd like to support this channel, we have a lot of different videos that we have up on there. Um, you guys get behind-the-scenes access to a lot of this stuff. Um, and there's also your own your own Discord channels that I have set up for the different levels. Plus, if you're at the general level, if you're the extremely uh, generous people that are out there, which we have a couple of them already, uh, we have the general level, and there is uh, some free merch that we give away as gifts as a thank you for all of your support. Um, for those of you that are listening to this on any of the different, uh, 
on any of the different spots that Anchor has this up, whether it be on Anchor, Spotify, Google Music, uh, I think it's Google Music, it's Anchor, Spotify, um, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. If you have any of those, you can uh, find us there and be sure to follow. If you actually see us on Anchor, there is a support button. If you would like to support this channel and like to support what we do, click that. Any uh, any donations of that sort, any gifts of that sort would be greatly appreciated and it would help us to actually expand this channel and actually give you some better content out there. That's what we're about. That's what we're here for is to support our listeners and our fans and our viewers. So I'd like to thank you all. This is it for our Combat Ineffective War Room. See you next time.